Hello and welcome to a very special 55-1 podcast. It is the 100th episode of this podcast. Uh, we took off last week because we just wanted to, like, you know, just basically build up the tension so much. Uh, for the 100th episode, it's uh, it's going old school. Jeff Reuter is in the house. Hello, Jeff. Uh, still jamming out to big quarters. Yeah. Oh, just, oh, just, just perfect. Playing it on repeat every Which is, night before you go to it's bed. It's like a 90-second yeah. song, too, yeah. so... <laughs> But it's a lot of reps. Uh, so, and Alex Schieferdecker is on the phone. How are you, Alex? I'm doing well. It's like good old times. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, getting the band back together. Um, uh, Rodrigo and, uh, and Eric are at home like, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually upstairs. They're going to show up in a minute. Uh, so we are, uh, we're going to talk a little bit. There was a game, Minnesota United game this week against LA Galaxy. We're not going to talk too much about it because last week, you know, like an hour after we were supposed to record and then my life was kind of going crazy at that point, uh, uh, Christian Ramirez was uh, traded, sold, whatever, to LAFC. Uh, it's 100th episode, so we thought we'd take a little bit of a, a look back um, on Minnesota United in the, the first uh, 18 months of MLS. And um, yeah, so, and then we've got lots of questions that, that came in, so we'll try to get to those. Um, but first, most people listen to this on Tuesday. Most of you are in Minnesota. It's primary day. Get out and vote. If you follow me on Twitter, then you obviously know my uh uh leanings but um uh you you should definitely go out and vote i love voting i'm really mad i voted early have you voted yet jeff tomorrow's the day cleared it out this is the first time i voted early and literally you know then that evening all the keith ellison news started to break (laughs) so uh i don't know what to think but um anyway uh so that's uh that's a voting uh thing i know alex you're jealous Uh, about our voting yeah but you know pennsylvania has one thing going for it this year which is that a lieutenant governor candidate the democratic lieutenant governor candidate is like if you took bernie sanders and made him a like a very large biker (laughs) and i mean like a motor bike like not like a you know like a my type of yeah, biker, not one of like those whips. Yeah. Harley Davidson biker. Yeah. yeah, I think he's my new favorite uh, Mortal Kombat. He, he used to be like the mayor of a small town near Pittsburgh. Uh, he's uh, he's pretty crazy. Sign me up. So anyway, perfect. Look him up, John Fetterman. He's uh, he's a character. Oh, the name is such a letdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish yeah, it was like just, a bow or something like that, or something like Felipe Hardcock or something. You know, mix. Just, just, <laughs> Just go check him out. Okay. You won't be let down. All right. He is a monster. Got it. Uh, well, let's uh, you know, let's take a break and we'll come in. We've got uh, we've got hipster team updates and uh, and then some. We'll talk about Christian Ramirez. Okay, guys, I'm gonna hit us off with a uh, a, a tweet question from uh, um, the usual co-host uh, Eric Silva Brenneman says when can we get Minnesota United to book a friendly against Forest Green Rovers FC so a bunch of vegans uh, can kick they asses I've, there oh, you nailed that oh so they can kick Minnesota's ass uh, he wants to see a, 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 a this is never going to happen Eric 
Uh, but it reminded me that uh, there's like basically four. We may expand this, but there's like four uh, teams in my. Uh, these are the hipster teams that that I, I follow and support. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forest Green is new, but uh, you know about Forest Green, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Do you want to give the, the we listeners? are the Village Green? Yeah, I always hear that song whenever I think about them. But they were. Oh, I'm trying to remember. You you posted something about them once. Where it was. Is it an investor or is it the entire club personnel of sorts that are um, vegan? All of the all of the food options at the stadium and the stadium is all made of wood. Yeah, it's like all uh, sustainable. Everything they're in the fourth division in League Two, and they're just like ex- they're extreme. They're like Carl Craig. Um, mm. And so they are in. They have four four points from two games. Fourth place in League Two. Go, Forest Green. I don't know what their nickname is. I'm I'm very new to them. Whitehawk FC, who I'm not very new to, uh, since I am the unofficial president of their American uh, fan supporters. (laughs) They have three points from their first game. They are in fifth place in the seventh division. They're going back up, baby. Uh, St. Pauli FC, six points. They are in first in Bundesliga Two. They're going up. And then Paris Red Star uh, have zero points from three games. They're 18th in League League 2. And um, they almost went down last year, and they were saved on the last day. This is not boding well for them. So, Not one bit. Alex, do you have any uh, hipster teams you want to promote at this point? Nope. Cool. All right. Good talk. Uh, so let's talk about Christian Ramirez, uh, since we're all gathered here in his name. Um uh, this broke on Monday. We all knew it was coming, uh, but he was sent to LAFC for basically eight hundred thousand in Gam Tam, that can rise to one million if he scores enough goals or something. Um, by now, the uh, apoplectic rage has not really died down, but it's for me, it's just like been channeled into uh, uh, an actual like. Uh, basically 18 karat diamond that I shit out last week. So you did get it out last week. Yeah. That's so I, like I'm that. like rich. So thank you, Christian. And, uh, we can use that diamond to buy Nicola, Nicholas Benedetti. Um, or Nicholas Bentner at least. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that, that would be, that, that would be if I would like, that be the best out some pennies. It's not true. <laughs> but could you imagine if this whole time people had been misreading or misinterpreting sources to think it was Benedetti and they're actually going after Bentner? I had an $8 million bid turned down for Bentner. That would be a good story. Yeah, I mean, I would... Yeah, if only there was a journalist <laughs> who could uh, research that information. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. Better just come on, on, to, come a on pa- to a podcast and make up a issue. <laughs> It was a package deal. Big Sam Allardyce and Nicholas Bentner. Yeah, oh, man. Ooh, uh, different. So uh, let me ask you, Jeff. You, why yeah. don't you make, make the, the, the case for this... Uh, why, why, why would would this be a good thing? Christian Ramirez going to uh, um, LAFC because then Alex and I can spend the whole time telling. We can all talk about how that's stupid. But sure, go. okay, no, that's fair. I'll, I'll give us the, for the rosiest, possible. the rosiest, the rosiest possible. Uh, I will never understand trading within the conference. That doesn't sure. make much. You're sense. You're not doing it yet. You got it. But <laughs> fine, fine. God damn it! <laughs> it's gonna be back. Um, the rosiest possible explanation is that Ramirez wasn't going to be a regular starter for the rest of the season. Anglo Rodriguez was instantly installed to the starting lineup as soon as he got his visa. And with that, it means that Christian Ramirez's productivity 
at least from the eye test, is going to go down. Even if he's scoring more per minute because he's playing fewer minutes like Abu Dunlady had last year. Uh, if he's not starting every week, teams are going to say, okay, buy low. It's the Patrick Mullen syndrome. Mm-hmm. The second that you stop starting every week, even if you're scoring 10, 12 goals a year, Mullins looked really good on the trade market because he was starting every week in D.C. And he said, ah, but D.C. had shit service. So if we got him with, I don't know, Wizards of Crossing, like mm-hmm. uh, Miguel Almarone or Tommy McNamara, that's all it's going to take. Um, so I think the idea was not going to play him regularly, already have the replacement in with Anglo Rodriguez. Abu Dunladi's coming back and healthy. Uh, there was obviously a lot of investment, and I think we're getting to that in a bit with Dunladi and Mason Toy as far as trying to find the future striker projects. And so if you're looking at it, this was the time to sell high. You have an offer that's competitive with the best strikers who have been traded for GAM within Major League Soccer over the last year. Great. And... You hope that because it lasts for the next three to four windows and beyond, you're going to be able to turn that into more help for the roster. And now your turn. That is mildly convincing. I can almost go with uh, with with the this can be uh, put into like better use or whatever. Uh, you know, Ben Bear has this tweet: Loons fan of every right to be upset. They have a proven goal scorer who had embraced the city to make him feel welcome. They drafted a player at his position with their first pick and did so again next year and made an iffy DP signing to drive home the point. I think I think the, the reaction amongst like fans, media, there's been very few people who aren't drinking buddies with Adrian Heath who will like actually say positive things about this in public. And so it's like which makes me feel a little bit better because I was a little bit going crazy talking to some people and DMing them, being like, what is going on? Because what we have in, in Christian Ramirez is a top 20 striker in the league. Uh, he's a domestic. Uh, he's a fan favorite. And he's n- it's not a position of need. And we've talked about this all of this somewhat on the podcast previously. But it's largely just like all of those things together just make you wonder like, why? Like, sure, the team can use more assets, um, but why did they spend? If they wanted Gam, why did they spend fifty grand Gam, fifty thousand to get an international spot when you've got a Wundi sitting there? Um, so there's so many frustrating things about it that make it. And and Christian Ramirez could have been signed as an NASL player way before for a lot cheaper. One of the reasons, you know. I think you mentioned is that that he needed to be traded in some ways is that he's making too much money. His his he's making uh, the amount of what six hundred thousand five hundred. Yeah, there was a clause in his contract that kicked in with his first year that was he got a certain amount of thousands of dollars for every goal he scored once he scored his twelfth. And as he surpassed that, I think that that clause actually grew by a larger rate for year two, if I understand it yeah. right. Okay. So, yeah. So, I think it was just a bad deal. I mean, he is a, I think, dollars to $500,000 striker, and all of a sudden he's making over that, and then you're like, well, we think that we can get better than him. Uh, but, it, and, and he's one of your only, like, tradable assets, you know, Ibarra, right. Calvo, and him. Yeah. Who, which, which one of those, Christian probably is the, is the most valuable there. He's the one that the most teams would call about of the three. Yeah. So it just 
kind of pisses me off. Uh, and Alex, I don't know if you want to want to jump in here. I, I I just I don't see a reason in here. Um, I, I think trying to replace a player like that is going to be very difficult. Um, and to take a gamble, I mean, it's it's Demidov level of gamble to say we're going to bring in this guy who's never who's only had one year of uh, scoring a double digit goals in the Colombian league, and we're going to think that he's our guy. I think it, that. Jeff makes makes a good case if you were if you had if you had like just been born or if you were you know you had woke you like woken up from a coma you know and this was the situation in which you saw Minnesota United yeah um, but what what Ben Bear's tweet gets at and what you're getting at is that in the context that you know we've been following this team week in and week out for years and years. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? You you know, yes, Minnesota got a pretty good haul in allocation money for Ramirez. But what did they spend on Rodriguez? You know, you could have just not spent that and used that for something else, right? It's like the, the, the money thing doesn't make a lot of sense because ultimately you're just trading one player. You know, you're just trading one allocation money player for another allocation money player. And I think that, you know, as you were also getting at, this is a gamble. You know, Rodriguez, he, we'll talk about it with the LA game, but he's played well, but he hasn't scored yet. We've seen players like Nelson Valdez for Seattle play well, but not put the ball in the net. So, and, and, and Rodriguez, as good as he has looked, again, does not have a history of scoring regularly, whereas Christian has not has scored double-digit goals every single year he's been with us and was on track to do so again. So it just, I think that, you know, uh, when it happened and, and everyone, myself included, were not pleased about it, and a lot of people we're talking, you know, uh, I was laying the blame, I think, uh, on Adrian Heath, and I, I still do. And people were saying, you know, also that Manny deserves blame, which he does. But I think that the part of the story is this long history from the beginning that obviously Ramirez has never been Adrian Heath's first choice. He's never rated him. And that's something that, you know, those of us who have, who have seen Ramirez and we're biased because we like the guy and we, we, we saw him for years, have disagreed with. You know, we think that Ramirez is better than, than obviously Heath did. And I, I think that that's the whole, st- I think that that's the story. I think that the, the story that Ben Bear gets at with the Loons drafting twice in a row strikers with their, with their first pick of the draft. And then this sort of constant rumors that we've had all summer with Ramirez. I think that the backstory to the, and then the signing of Rodriguez, I think that the backstory to it is that he has just simply never been rated by the coaching staff. And that's the heart of it. And if you, if you think that that's a mistake and that, you know, consistent goal scoring is something that you cannot take for granted in this league and, you know, and, and all the other stuff that, that he made this connection with the fans, I, like I do, you know, I think that this is a, an unfathomable decision. But from, from the perspective of the coaching staff and the perspective of the front office, clearly 
the they thought that he wasn't worth what they were paying, and they they, they thought that he wasn't worth. You know, he wasn't he wasn't the kind of player who could start on a on a contender in the league. Right, and I think that that's the that's the big question here moving forward in a way it feels a bit like mid-2000s Arsene Wenger running Arsenal which is try to find a player at their highest value assume that they're going to score against you for a year or two more but then after that they just do not match their salary and the amount of money you would have lost on paying them plus the money on the trade value that has dwindled over those two years that's the risk I don't think that they wanted to take and so if you're removing Rodriguez from the equation first, I think the idea for the team was get more allocation money, take a risk on someone else, think that you have a coach or believe in your coach to be able to get strikers to play well, to get a system that caters to them, to be able to work with them, whether it's the ones on the roster or the new guy you bring in, where the amount of output is minimal, or the change in output is minimal from losing Ramirez, and then the new guy comes in, is able to do close to the same thing, and you got all of this asset that you can use. The thing is, and like Wes said, is that Rodriguez, I'm not convinced, personally. But I do agree that you've seen glimpses of what he can do within the system to help Quintero, to help the wingers, all of that. But it, you're also looking at a guy who's two years older than Ramirez. Uh, Ramirez was the player on the loons who had the most most jerseys sold of any loon last season and like you said Alex you know it's it, if you're looking purely for the present tense and future tense i think that the initial case for Ramirez makes a lot of sense because you're looking at it purely from goals value assets to help build the club for the Allianz field launch but if you do need to have that past tense of the story and this is a more emotional romantic sport than any other sport and so yeah you it's so hard to actually just remove the nasl era or remove the 2017 growing pains from the like putting a pillow over it and smothering it <laughs> i mean he tried to again for miguel last year but uh let me uh, well let's can i just can i just okay. jump in you mentioned that <laughs> and this is just the sort of my my frustration i mean i i, I spoke a while, just a few seconds ago, about how Heath didn't rate Ramirez, and, and, and that's very clear. But you know what? He didn't rate Ibarra either, and Ibarra has turned out to be an essential player for us. And he did rate Demidov, and then Demidov turned out to be a walking traffic cone. Well, I'm not sure, so I'm I, I, not sure Heath rated him that. Uh, I think- we went through an entire preseason and made him the captain and didn't notice that he... I mean, I, I, all enough. I'm saying is that I, I do not have confidence... If you ask me, do I who's conf, who do I have more confidence in to evaluate players, Adrian Heath or Bob Bradley and John Thorrington? I think I'm going to go with the latter. <laughs> so okay. I feel like when, when we're trading with Colorado, I feel like we usually get the better end of the deal because Colorado are bum, like just total bunglers. But LAFC know what they're doing. So let me let me ask this. There's there's a couple questions here. Matt Legas asks, "What kind of power does one million worth of Garber bucks do for our let's say or eight hundred thousand worth of Garber bucks do for our future finding talent and players? Like, what what can we actually do with when we talk about like what, what this value can bring us? What, what? Well, I guess to answer the question, I think how it was intended. 
uh, you can use GAM. The majority of it is in general allocation money, which everything TAM can do, GAM can do, but it can also be used on players who are above the DP threshold, so 1.5 million, or below the senior maximum, so 504,000. And so it affects your entire roster, whereas TAM is just that sweet spot between 500k and 100 and... Uh, wow, yeah, 1.5 million. So... The fact that most of it's in GAM means that if Miguel Ibarra needs an extension and you don't want it to hurt the salary cap, and so you you want to give him a raise on his 300000 he's on right now, you can do that with GAM, and it's not going to mess with his salary budget. Or you can... It's more valuable to trade within the league because every team can find a use for GAM. You need to have the willingness to get those TAM players, and not every team actually likes fielding too many of those, and I'd actually argue Minnesota is one of those teams. Uh, so there's that. But I think the it's, it's probably a miswording, but actually I think Matt asks a more interesting question here, which is, what does it do for the future finding of talent? It mm-hmm. doesn't change anything about how you scout. It doesn't change anything about your network that you're reaching. Maybe you're saying, yeah, we're in Colombia, which we know is a hotbed that they're looking at, or Ecuador, and saying, okay, we were looking for players at 300,000, now that's 500,000. So maybe it does that for you. But that's the big question here. It's not so much about, good, they have these assets. It's, well, how are you going to use it? And that's going to take two, two and a half years before all of these funds are exhausted, overcoming windows, to really figure out if they were able to use them well. And Romario is a TAM player. Right. So, you know, a, a Romario-type signing, I mean, they could still make that happen without the TAM and just make them a DP, which is why Rodriguez is a DP and Romario wasn't, right? Remar- right. More money was spent on Romario, but... Or Schuler, for that matter. Exactly, yeah. yep. Um, and Christian would have been, should have been a DP, right? But right. he was bought down with one of with these. Tam, so... Yeah. so the, the answer, the extremely boring answer that, that we're giving you, Matt, is that, who knows? Like, um, because it's just, it's just like a, it's one of those like magical things that like, honestly, you started talking, Jeff, and I was like, I was thinking about donuts. I just, I was yeah, just like, whatever, I, I, I don't know what you're saying right now. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, it is a tool um, that can be used for all sorts of things, which is why it's really hard I think particularly hard for for people to stomach selling Christian for that. Um, you know, th- there was talk about getting Dax in. Right. There's talk about maybe Kellen Acosta. Uh, my assumption uh, is that Christian Ramirez was floated to both those teams and probably to a couple others as as trade bait. Correct. Um, if you're talking to me about Dax or Kellen Acosta coming in, it's a much different calculus that I, I would have to do right. and, I, and you could convince me that especially more with with Acosta okay this is a younger player it's a position more of need he's a, a future US men's national team or existing men's national team player okay I can I can get that if it's a deal that that's worth making but um but just just funny money is just like really like you just need the ability to make a better team when you have a great squad right now, but it's missing in two key places: center back and central midfield. We all know that that we've we've known that forever. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard to find some of these positions of importance, but we've known that they need a number six for a year now, and it, it's really hard for me to believe that we've gone through two transfer windows, maybe three. Uh, Cronin was injured injured after last summer. Um, yeah. 
two transfer windows, and no, there's not a single central midfielder. I'm not even talking about a number six. I'm just talking about a dominant, like a good starting central midfielder. We right. can't find any of them right. in there, the whole world. There was Thomas Monconduit, which they were negotiating with. I think I, I tweeted maybe something about I this missed way this, too so late tell me about night, it. so this wasn't worth it. Uh, I did that wrong. Um, he's a number six, played for Amiens in League uh, He was the captain of the team. He's like 24-25. Minnesota was negotiating for him. Uh, his contract was expiring, so he would have been on a free. His French club uh, said, oh, no. And they didn't want to lose players because they're kind of in that relegation zone. And yeah. one of the ways to look weakest very easy is to lose your players to MLS if you're about to drop down a league. Right. And so they overpaid to keep him. Um, but like you said, there's enough time to find plan B. You know, and and I, I do. The ben- captain of Amien is like, right, there's there's forty more of them. It's right, one of my favorite operas, the captain of Amien. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. It's beautiful. So, uh, and then there's one more question here, which is um, Brian, Brian Waters. Waters ooh, yeah, you can say, read it. Saying, assuming the club was set on trading Ramirez, how could they have handled the situation better to limit the fallout with fans? Uh, so this was another thing that. I think over, I wrote three or four articles last week about the Ramirez deal alone, and I, I think that the, the overall sentiment was uh, that they wish it had been handled differently. You know, I, I think if I remember right, the, the highlight reel that was tweeted out with his kind of thank you was said forever 21, and some people were like, you're using a tongue-in-cheek pun for a club legend. Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing that I kept hearing was... Well, I'll, I'll let you guys say, I guess, because I, I was there for the press conferences or the quick media scrums after a training where Adrian Heath and Manny Lagos gave their immediate reactions on that Tuesday. Uh, I guess, what did you see through this whole, whole ordeal? Well, th- oh, let me start here. There, there's First, there's Meg Ryan uh, t- tweeting out that the, player, the team was not going to make players available um, to media, and this is not how it happened. Or, okay, um, and that then uh, she pointed out that that's against MLS rules, and then they kind of said, "Well, that's kind of too bad." And then that kind of got out there, and then it seems like MLS pushed back or something. But it seemed to me that the team was completely off guard by the thing that everyone knew was about to happen, uh, and and largely both Manny and uh, Adrian did this thing where they were trying to say, "Look, I understand," but both of them kind of I don't think read the room correctly in that look this is a big to, to do a little bit more like honest like look we know this is a big loss for the club and we know that you're at we're asking you to do something and we need we want you to be with us. like be honest and like a little bit like apologetic is what because uh, Heath in particular talked about like oh yeah you know it's it's really important I understood because I played for Everton that that Fans are important and they love players, uh, but we this will let us have some things. And it's just like, but you 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 spent money transfer fee on a Wundi or Pangop or one of them. Like you, like why should we trust you? I, I, I mean, the, the the there's just it's it, it's part of the the general attitude that comes out from this club that um, takes supporters for granted and looks at their gripes as just like ch- children just being obnoxious which you know lots of people myself included were um, apoplectic and, and performative uh, um, craziness uh, and over the top 
but that's what makes this team freaking great. That's what makes a fan base great, right? That we are a few over effusive and and melodramatic uh, about our joy and our our sorrow. So that's what I'll say, Alex. I don't know if you have a you have a way you thought it could have been handled better. Well, yeah, it's tough, right? But I agree with you that it didn't seem to. I don't know. It just the it it the, the the quotes from Manny and and Adrian afterwards were sort of like soccer is a business kind of quotes, and we know, you know, everybody knows soccer is a business. Nobody needs to be explained that you give something to get something, right? We get that. People know how it is. Um, yeah, people were fine with with Miguel, right? Well, like everyone was sad when Miguel we went get to Club why, why trades happen. Yeah, right. Yeah, we get why trades happen. We get you don't need to explain that you know you saw an opportunity to get good value for a player. We get that. What needed to be justified again was was or what uh, you know was it was I don't maybe it was never going to be justified, but in my ideal world was justified. And, and Adrian kind of alluded to this, but the sort of the, the why, like why the whole thing happened, not just the trade itself, but the whole lead up to the trade in which, you know, this player who we had, who was doing fine, who was a club, you know, legend or whatever, was made, deliberately made expendable, right? What do you see in Dunlady that makes you think he's going to stay healthy? What do you see in Mason Toy that makes you think he is the future in two or three years? What do you see in Angelo Rodriguez that makes you think that he is going to be able to bridge that gap? That's the kind of stuff, you know, you're never going to, Adrian Heath, to explain his entire philosophy and, you know, every last weakness and strength of the players, but some kind of some kind of acknowledgement and justification from the whole of the whole sort of saga because it wasn't just the trade there was this whole deliberate process that made him made Ramirez surplus to requirements and it never really made sense to anybody and they haven't really done anything in the transfer market possibly Romario Ibarra and Angelo we don't know yet but they haven't done anything really in the transfer market that should give fans any confidence that they know what they're doing. And so, as, as you said, and again, I just think that, the, that the, you can't take this trade out of the larger context because it's the context that was so frustrating. Right. So and so Jeff, that's what we needed to have explained. Yeah. Jeff, you, you close us out on this topic. It's, the hardest part is that it's going to take optimistically two full years for a full return to be assessed with the allocation money. Sure, yeah. Within the two years, one, Christian Ramirez's last MLS appearance was with LAFC. That's already a fact. He stepped on wearing the number 12 now. Ramirez will score a goal, maybe against Minnesota next year. Ramirez is going to go to the postseason this year with LAFC. Minnesota United, 99% certainty at this point, according to 538 and my guess (laughs) will not make the playoffs this year and all of these things are going to happen while 
all of us are waiting to see what will this allocation money go to. And mm-hmm. that's going to make everything Ramirez does, LAFC mm-hmm. does, Minnesota does or doesn't do that much more excruciating yeah. or that much more questionable. It's going to put such a bigger spotlight, a brighter spotlight on every move the team makes for four transfer windows, six transfer windows with the 2019 money. Uh, that yeah. you can't you can't say that there's no way to act like you're surprised that everyone is upset about losing a fan favorite um, and just an overall productive MLS striker uh, when it's going to take that long to actually see the fruit. Yeah. Christian Ramirez talk went very long, so let's do very quickly on LA Galaxy 2, Minnesota United 2. Seventh minute, we're back to the playing the hits with uh, giving up a a goal in the first ten minutes. Uh, Calvo, Schuler, Warner were just mesmerized by Ibra. And Alessandrini just walks on, runs on by, and uh, so three guys are basically just pulled onto one one player, and he scores. Alessandrini scores from distance. It isn't that's like the classic. Like this is why you need a number six goal. Like guy just breaks past the whole like the the box box midfielders. There's nobody there to slow him down. Yep. And he takes a free shot and it goes in. To like, be fair, that's where with, you need a number six. Yeah, but to be fair, if I was within my first ten minutes of being in the same area of the world with Slatan, I'd probably be clinging to him too. So. That's because you're not a professional like me. Yeah, fair um, point. 64th minute. It's not until the second half that we, we actually get our goal. Um, and I, 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 I didn't see too much between the two, two sides at all. Um, but then uh, Quintero is on the left side. I think it's Jonathan Dos Santos. Yeah, yeah yep. not Gio. Okay, yeah. I wrote Gio. You wrote Gio was yeah. subbed out by then, I think. Um, Jonathan Dos Santos just just kind of like playing with himself while while Quintero walks by him, crosses in, Boxall runs to the uh, front po- the near post. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. These guys are so bad at defending. LA yeah. Galaxy. It was just like watching. Yeah. It was like watching Bizarro Minnesota defending the it's, uh, most expensive MLS defense of all. Spider Man pointing at Spider Man. Basically, uh, <laughs> it was so so easy. And then uh, and then right back in it. Then Legit. Ten minutes later, uh, he he scores by by running into the box, and. Um, and Wade McEwen asked this question: Was the second terrible goal for LA all on Eric Miller? He chose the wrong man to mark, but it seems like he should have expected more help inside. Um, I wrote my notes. I don't know if anyone wants yeah. to respond. You uh, can just rip off my notes. If you- <laughs> I think that the initial TV commentary all said, "Why did he leave?" But if you look, there's an overlapping run. I believe Romney had sent in a mm-hmm. by Dave Romney. Yeah, uh, Mitz Coolson. Yeah, and. Uh, Sorry, Tick. What, I don't remember their names anymore. Um, but as Dave is running through, I think he had sent in a couple of crosses earlier. So he follows that. And if you look, he checks his peripherals. Rasmus Schuler is right by uh, Legette. Rasmus Schuler's is running in. He's actually yep. the furthest. Ibsen and Calvo are the two closest. They're both there. Yeah, so they're and all there. Calvo has nobody. He's not marking anyone. Correct. There's also no other LA player in the vicinity that might make a run in that he that yeah. he's preparing for. Yeah, and so I think with all of that, I think he looks and says, "Yeah, someone's got him." Follows the overlap uh, because otherwise that's a wide open low cross to yeah. Zlatan, which he scores every single time. Right, uh, and then it left him open. So I don't think it's fully on Miller. Yeah, Miller probably should have stuck with him in hindsight, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm saying Miller. I'm absolving Miller. I'm saying. 
Calvo, Ibsen, and Schuler somewhere in there. There should not be one wing back who's having to cover two guys. He's not right. to blame. So if he that's if he one chooses, of those chief. That's one of those goals where I, I I think I tweeted it at the same time. I was like, "What are they doing in practice?" That's such an that's such a basic organizational issue. Like that that Calvo has to recognize that overload, and he's got to step across. Yeah, and then uh, then to tie it up, Ibsen sends in a long ball. My boy Ibsen uh, sends the ball into <laughs> Dunlady, who's out wide right. Uh, he crosses over to Romario, who had no one even near him. Uh, and Romario, when he shot that, it was at such an angle that I was like, oh, my God. It's mi-. like Even though the, the, the shot was like an eighth of a second, I still, in that minute, was like, oh, my God, he just shot it. Because he just sent yeah. it to the top of the, oh, to yeah, the no, roof. Oh, yeah, hit the roof, yeah. And it was I like, oh, my God, too. how can you miss that? <laughs> it was a foot further out, I think it goes over the bar. I yeah. really do. But yeah. hey, welcome to MLS, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So he scores so, scores a goal, and it's a draw. First draw of the season. Fourth no, point second. of the season on the road. Second? Second, second draw of the season. First away from home, though. Who, who did we draw? Uh, oh, who was that? I know there was one. Was it Kansas City? We drew somebody. We drew somebody. Don't remember. It was Kansas City at home. Okay, I've been saying we haven't drawn all season. So let's just say first draw of the season. Um <laughs> I don't know what we were doing at the end, but I don't want to talk about the formations because it's time to take a break. Uh, uh, any, any, yeah, Romario has been good. Like he's been good, and Dunlady continues to convince me that he should be a winger, not a striker. All right, hello. My name is Wes. I am Jeff. I'm Alex. Okay, this is the 551 Podcast 100th episode. Uh, we're giving away prizes and everything. Um, so we wanted to take a, a, the, this section now to basically look at Minnesota United a season and a half in take stock and basically ask this question, and, and Alex, you kind of maybe can pose it best, but like looking back over, over what we've seen so far, what kind of team is being built? What's the plan? Who is Minnesota United? Have I, have I summed up your your prompt correctly yeah i think i think to quote a well-known american soccer commentator what are we doing what are we doing <laughs> it's a great jp Delacamera impression uh oh my god <laughs> you know a, a better guest slash former co-host would have gone back to episode one to listen to see what we said would be the team's philosophy two years in. That would have been a really good move by me. I did not do that. Sorry. Uh, I mean, but I'm, I I kind of known what, what we've wanted to see, but I mean, I've always had the same question. What, I, you know, I've said this many times on this podcast. I've asked Manny, I've asked all these, all these people, what's the club that you want to see? Do you want to be mm-hmm. Sporting KC? Do you want to be RSL? Do you want to be Dallas? Do you want to be, obviously you're not going to be Seattle. You're not going to be Atlanta. The club will often say, well, we, we're not going to be this. We're not going to be that. Uh, you know, we can't be Atlanta. And it's like, okay, we get that. What do you want to be? And if you don't want to say you want to be like this, how do you, where are you going to get your players? And it often comes from this kind of diamond in the rough. We're going to find diamonds in the rough. And, and I know that because I know these people, they're not naive, dumb people. But, like, guys, literally... The fourth division teams in England 
are picking over the same players you're picking over. How are you going to find a diamond in the rough in the world market? And, and it's happened. Certainly has happened. We, I mean, even Darwin Quintero was not a diamond in the rough. He was just like a, a diamond that someone put in a freaking antique shop for 50 bucks. And it was like, all right, I'll buy that diamond. My favorite episode of Indiana Jones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, it's, or, uh, yeah. or um, uh, Antiques uh, Roadshow. <laughs> Basically, they found Darwin Quintero at an Antiques yeah. Roadshow. Pawn Stars, it was crazy. <laughs> um, but I think the general question here that Steve Lindley is asking is who's the most middle-of-the-road organization at MLS as far as total organizational competency, who's the median? Is it Minnesota United? Is it RSL? I, I think to your original point, Wes, I think the two teams that Minnesota cites the closest as admiring slash saying, yeah, we should be able to do that, uh, would be Sporting Kansas City post-rebrand and the Portland Timbers. So what we've gone through here is identified five different yeah. MLS franchises that we look at as saying, overall, these are trajectories that Minnesota's comparable to in far, as far as market size, organizational spending, um, timeline of entry. I think three or four of these are actually coming from previous installments, too, which is nice. Yeah. Um, so we'll start with the most obvious link, I guess. I don't know how you want to hit Yeah, let's do this. Sheaf, do you want to take Orlando? Oh yeah! Spoilers, because um, you yeah or, yeah. So yeah, Orlando is Orlando is, is, City, yeah, a great uh, great uh, soccer team in MLS. Um, obviously, the parallel they launched with Adrian Heath as the coach. He was their coach in USL. 2015, they made a big splash. They made Kaká the most expensive player in the year. They also of the league. Sorry, they also made a deliberate approach of going young and, and buying up young talent. So they made Brian Rochez one of the first young DPs in the league. They signed Carlos Rivas as well. And they were like a game out of the playoffs. Uh, they, they, they were in the playoff hunt until the final week didn't work out. Um, they added Matias Perez Garcia from, uh, I think they signed him from San Jose. Right. Um, and then they were in the playoff positions, but they, instead of a summer swoon, and then they fired Adrian Heath. They replaced him with Jason Kreis. That didn't work. They did even worse, really. And then in 2017, they added Giles Barnes, Yoshi Otun. Still under Kreis, it didn't work. Tenth in the East. This year, they went out. They signed like the 2014 MLS All-Star team. Um, Uri Rosell, Sasha Kleston, uh, you know, Justin Miram. And it's been... An absolute tire fire. They fired Christ midseason. They're now onto James O'Connor. They don't look any better. They're finding really, really entertaining ways to lose games. Um, <laughs> the fan base is just has just become like desperately toxic. Um, it's just it's been like a they, they are the Florida man of MLS, and <laughs> it's been it's. Yeah. My it's been sort of entertaining to watch from the outside, but my nightmare is that we become Orlando, and so I don't want to become Orlando. The cautionary thing with Orlando, I think, is having a majority of the resources of an Atlanta with minimal brain trust oversight. <laughs> with minimal, and, and yeah, so, with minimal brain and trust and oversight. I <laughs> well, guess. I, but there's a, there's a lot of over, there's too many hands uh, in, in too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, because the ownership is actually like making too many, being too overbearing and too impatient. Mm -hmm. They don't quite have Arthur Blank money, but there's lots of money there. There's yeah. none of the NFL cushion for the business. Um, you know what's really funny about Orlando City? 
I actually like about 60 to 70% of their transactions. Yeah. Like, I look at them taking a buy low. Well, NASL is dead. Free transfer Stefano Pino. Sure, yeah, yeah. Let's see if he's a good rotational striker. Or we think we might play post-Christ with wingbacks. PC might be a good buy low guy for a low-risk position. Perfect. Or Dylan Powers is doing nothing. All right, let's take a little flyer on him. Didn't work out. We gave up nothing for him, but we answered the question of what's going on with Dylan Powers. Uh... Is it Dylan. Well, so what I think Orlando demonstrates, and, and let's use this as a transition to the next team, is that it's not just about players and it's not just about coaches. It's, it's, there is something sort of ephemeral about club culture. And Orlando, including the fans and some of the, some of the supporters groups and, and clearly the ownership and the front office, there's something deeply toxic about that club's culture. And it is poisoning everything that gets in it. I mean, Justin Miram went to the crew because he was getting death threats from fans because he played poorly. I mean, so, so, right. so I think that the, the next team we have yeah. on our list is a team that has done basically the opposite. And they haven't always made great signings, but they have such a positive club culture. And so I think one of the other things is with, uh, it, we're talking about Portland here. If you're looking for where you're hoping this is going, or if, if you're looking for what, what is the most optimistic look for what year three is going to become? It's Portland. So 2011, Portland entered the league, joining up from USL Pro. Uh, they signed Diego Chara as their first DP. He was incredibly erratic for his first 12, 18 months, I would say, in the league. Um, ended up being bought down right away by Tam uh, as soon as that was introduced. Uh, the team finished sixth in the West. I, they were a distant sixth, if I remember right. Uh, but they were competitive until the second or third last weekend of the season, just like Minnesota was last year. They went back in 2012. They signed Scottish, uh, the Scottish Nicholas Bentner, Chris Boyd, to lead the line, be their true first star attacking star did not work at all his i think goal and assist per 90 if i remember it was a solid point three um he as a result john spencer the inaugural coach was fired in july gavin wilkinson took over on an interim basis for the rest of the season team dropped in the standings down to eighth obviously no playoffs with that year three they brought in diego valeri their quintero figure albeit a little younger and more of a distributor whereas darwin's more of a wizard um and then that was also the first year of caleb porter the team ended up getting first in the western conference that season so here's why uh, portland is one of the only corollaries that minnesota has in that you have a kind of uh, smallish market now twin cities is much bigger than than portland but smallish market in terms of cultural capital in 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 the the u.s um, Sorry, Fred Armisen. Yeah, you've got um, uh, uh, a very like established, good supporters culture, and I'm not just saying that uh, um, because I've been part of it a long time. But the team now, the all year, their marketing is about the supporters culture, right? Scarves up, all these things. You know, um, you've got this thing that you can build on. You can create, the way Portland has done is create a unique atmosphere, a unique place that people want to come to play because it's really cool and weird. Cloud City is going to help them do that. Right. Um, the other thing that I look at at Portland and, fi- and want us to emulate so desperately is their hires were John Spencer, Caleb Porter, Giovanni Saverisi. 
Um, John Spencer is more in the, uh, you know, Ben Olsen, uh, Jay Heaps, you know, you, you hire this kind of former professional. But Caleb Porter was a great risk. I'm not a Caleb Porter fan in the least, but Caleb Porter was a great gamble. He, he worked out very well. He was a college, you know, he was the, the college coach who stood out at University of Akron and, and brought out these really great, unique players who we still see in MLS and now. And keep in mind, he had also just failed to get the U.S. in the Olympics. All right, as well. Yeah, right yeah. That. So yeah. it is a risk, absolutely. And, and then Giovanni Severisi, also a risk, right? Yeah. But what I love about Portland is that they're willing to take risks like that. I don't see that yet with Minnesota. Adrian Heath was a very safe hire. Um, uh, you know, they could have gone Giovanni Severisi. Uh, you know, I certainly would love, we'll talk about where who they could go with next, but I want to see us be Portland, and I want to see us do better than Portland because we have a better stadium than that than they'll have. You know, we'll yeah. we'll have these things that we could we could play up and more money, frankly, than they have. Right. So, Alex, do you have anything to say about Portland, or can I move on? Well, I think to, that uh, the one thing that I want to praise about the Porter hire is that he was a coach who had a, like had a real style of play that he was very committed to. And it's interesting because Portland is now undergoing this evolution under Savarese, where they, I think Savarese is a, is a very savvy but a very pragmatic coach. And they're going from someone who is pretty dogmatic. I think that's an interesting evolution, and it, it's sort of a mature evolution because Porter set a, set a style and set a way of playing, and Portland really stuck to it for all of his years in charge. And it gave them an identity that even though Savarese has sort of changed the way they play, you have this core group of players who know how each other wants to play and know it's sort of a general system. And I think that that's what Minnesota has often talked about doing, um, but I've yet to see that kind of direction on the field that Porter had. And and I think that hiring someone who is, who is dogmatic in the way that he was, and I do not want to hire Caleb Porter, but someone like him... Um, Success or not can 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 set a foundation that's productive for a club, and I think it helped Portland. Let's move to Vancouver real quick. Yeah. So if you're looking at the the Portland Timbers model, I think that the um, the, the the cautionary side of the exact same model is Vancouver Whitecaps at this point, um, who always seem to be about one year and two steps behind Portland. Um, also joined in 2011, signed a couple of tackers that didn't really land Eric Hasley for injuries, Mustafa Jarju, because you probably forgot that they signed Mustafa Jarju. Um, they fired MLS's greatest ever Icelandic coach, Taitur Torridsson, in May. Um, Tater. Tater's how you say that name. Ugh. Tater, man. Oh, man. The Tater Tots. Uh, Tom Sen got the interim gig. Team finished ninth in the West, three spots behind Portland. Also did not make the playoffs. Added respectable veteran midfielder Barry Robson and Kenny Miller uh, to the team. It was year one of the Martin Rennie era that lasted two years. They got fifth in the West, though, um, by playing a ugly but successful um, kind of game plan. They exited in the knockout round. 2013 didn't add a single DP or notable player for that matter. That was much more of the Darren Mack, Kudamani, let's see how the kids do era. Uh, they fired Martin Rennie after the season, seventh the West, no playoffs. I think the big thing with Vancouver, though, is their scouting has been a lot about the raw athleticism of a player. Purely looking and saying, Pedro Morales is a fantastic passer, sign him. Or look at 
the, the revolving door of midfielders, number eights and number sixes that they've had. These guys are athletes. Let's sign them. Not a lot of work on the character side. Not a lot of work on the soccer IQ side. And because of that, so many of them last six months to one season. Revolving door. I don't understand how Carl Robinson's still their coach. That's fine. Uh... Obviously, no one cares up there. That's exactly right, though, and, and I think that's the thing. That's the cautionary side of the Portland tale: is if you get if if there's less pressure on it, or if there's just a little less attention to detail, that's where Portland ends up. Instead of signing Adi, you're signing uh, Eric Hurtado, Eric Hasley. Eric yeah. Hasley, yeah, and that's just that's such a difference there too. So, or Valeri Morales, that's a really good kind of corollary to think of it as. So, Robert Paulson, his name Eric, is Robert Paulson. Eric, Eric his Hasley, name is God, I miss Paulson. that guy. Um, the other two I want to talk about of corollaries. I'll talk briefly about Philadelphia Union. I think Philly are a corollary because again, you've got a, a medium market. You know, Philly has more cultural cachet in the U.S., but um, Twin Cities has more of a, every other kind of cachet. Um, Alex, uh, you get no time to weigh in on this. Sorry, um, but but <laughs> Philly, Philly, you know that second year they did make uh, you know the quarterfinals or whatever. They've only made the playoff twice. Um, they are the poorest team in MLS. It's very well known. Their their DPS are Freddie Adu, Clayberson, Marisa Adu, who spent most of the time injured, uh, Christian Maidana. Um, the, this is a team that is, is, again, kind of a cautionary tale, where I think Vancouver's a cautionary tale of um, no, uh, no, strat- no recognizable strategy. Yeah. Philadelphia are, are just like, you could be poor and try to do the diamond in the rough thing and sign, uh, Jesus, who, Jay, um, who's this? Jay, Jay Simpson. Jay Simpson. Oh, my God. We'll get our own BW. We'll yeah. get our, yeah, BWP. Oh. So Philadelphia are a cautionary tale. Sporting KC, like Portland, are the only other corollary for us in that very similar type market, et cetera. Um, And they came out with they've got a great stadium uh, and they have a a good brand identity. They've got players who are longtime heroes, Beasler, Zuzi, um, Sasinovic. They've got a real culture around the team. And I think, you know, that that is a team that since the rebrand in 2011, uh, that year they got first in the East, uh, the quarterfinals. 2012, they won MLS Cup. They got second in 2013. They've been in the playoffs every year since the rebrand, and right. it, it has worked. But the, the might, thing that... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, the thing that strikes me about the teams, you know, we're, we're talking about... These success stories, Portland, Sporting. I think that Vancouver have been somewhat successful. Not always, but they've had some success. And and what what distinguishes these teams from teams that have struggled, like Orlando or Philadelphia, is, again, that that club identity and that positive club identity and and the identity of how they play on the field and conduct themselves off of it. And, you know, when you think about Peter Vermees, who has been... Playing this high pressure, high effort four three three forever, you know Caleb Porter who instituted this passing style, and even Vancouver who I think have had less success simply because their chosen style, like boot it long and run after it, is terrible. But they have a style, you know. They 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 they, they have if if they cared if they cared they could find players to fit into it. 
I think that that is that is the key. I mean, we'll talk about it, but the the thing I want for Minnesota is someone more dogmatic in style on the field. Someone who is going to decide the way that the team should play, the way that the team is going to build up in terms of a style. Uh, the teams I admire in MLS, like Sporting, like Portland, like the Red Bulls, they're teams that do that. And the teams that I don't admire and the teams that I don't like to watch are the teams that don't. Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter. Um, Here's something. So <laughs> I, yeah, finish up on Sporting. So then. I, I think the, the other thing, the big difference between Sporting and Portland is uh, 15 years of trial and error in MLS. And it's why every time Minnesota says they want to come in and be like, or follow their version of the sporting way, I just kind of look and do that thing with my head where I tilt it like a dog does when it's confused what's going on around it. Because it, the reason that the rebrand worked is because they saw how much the Wiz did not or the Wizards, or whatever they were at the moment, or making your first attempts and saying Claudio Lopez worked for a little bit, didn't work after that, that's fine, and then you make your pivot from there. Um, that's important, to be able to have that sort of a trial run. That's why sporting has been such a phenomenal success. But I also will say that it's a success with a ceiling. Portland's done much better about overachieving. I would argue over the last four seasons now, and we're going on a fifth, I guarantee it. Um, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, Sporting Kansas City has been knocked out in the, in the uh, knocked out round. That's really redundant. Um, but they haven't been able to get it to the two-leg parts of the postseason where you would think that they'd thrive more. Because they stumble in the table, they come out of the gates like gangbusters... And then all of a sudden, choke in the summer. They're in the middle of doing that right now, actually. Minnesota might catch them at a really good time and only lose 3-1 or something. But um, that's, that's the thing with Kansas City. And that's where you have to be careful about having the one system because everyone and their mother knows what Peter Vermees wants to do with his team. Yeah. And once you get to the middle of the season and you say, okay, now I know how Johnny Russell works, boom, you put two more solid guys on the left side and you stop Johnny Russell. Or, okay, yeah, I know when Felipe Gutierrez is on, we just need to get this kind of player on him. And it's neutralized. So, and then you run into relying too much on the wrong players. But again, so to let me just sum this up and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take a break. But again, we're looking at Minnesota is not, you look at the teams that run this league, New York City FC, New York Red Bulls, Atlanta, uh, used to be Seattle for a while. Now it's LAFC is doing well. It's the the those are those are the big teams, right? Yeah. Minnesota cannot do that, um, and so they have to look at what are the ways the avenue of success for mid level teams, right? Because mm -hmm. we are not Philadelphia Union. Philadelphia Union are just a, a scared straight. You know the 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 convicts that are brought in to uh, to our team to be yeah. like don't don't sign don't do Jay that. Simpson or you'll go to prison right uh, you know <laughs> um, so so we we look at these teams and Sporting Kansas City are a team they have less money than our ownership group has so Minnesota can be more of a Seattle eventually um, but I think that 
if if you told me Minnesota United could take this uh, Devil's Deal and get into the playoffs every year and and push and and sometimes win a Supporters Shield, that's what I dream of, right? Yeah. I want I want a Sporting KC like, yeah, you want to get better from those knockout rounds, but that's marginal from the that's difference the, the difference of right now where we are the bottom of the uh, beige oatmeal lukewarm oatmeal uh, part of the table. Um, we're not Cor- Colorado, and we're not San Jose. Right. Um, we're just the next tier up, which watchable. is yeah, yeah, we're watchable. But like, come on, guys. So the other thing I will say very briefly, I promise, because um, we have sponsor adverts to play. Yeah, we have t- lots of them. So, um, <laughs> uh, Portland to me seems like the one Minnesota should be aiming for the closest. If you're looking at these five. The one team that actually could change that conversation, though, is Vancouver. If you look at what happens with the Alfonso Davies sale and what Mm -hmm. happens with their academy, and if Minnesota is able to get the academy right and get a USL affiliate... (laughs) um, Clap clap, emojis. Clap emojis between every word. (laughs) uh, If they're able to take those steps, if they're able to get the name redacted in their academy, playing time at 16, 17, so they can become professionals at 18... um, then, yeah, that can be your blueprint. But, but that's again, five years out. But that's I mean, five years out. But also, yeah. Vancouver, they're in year six or seven. And yeah. you look at... Or eight. And you look at Vancouver, and I think the, the question with the fan base, if they care, <laughs> is do you trust what they'll do with the Alfonso Davies uh, yeah. money? And yeah. I don't know if they do right now. Yeah. And that's the big question here, is if you get that academy set up right, um, uh, what do you do with... Pop quiz. Who is uh, the director of soccer or whatever GM at Vancouver? Uh, that would be Jerome P. Whitecap. You do know? Oh, wait. Oh, okay. Damn it. Oh, my God. You tricked me. Yeah, I have no idea. It's no the, idea. probably the only team I cannot tell you a single thing about other than Carl Robinson. Carl Robinson right. All right. Uh, we got to take a break. This podcast is going to go long, but it's the 100th episode. So, you know, just open a bottle of gin and uh we've got some podcasts uh or podcasts (laughs) gin (laughs) tweets coming up bye-bye back on the 55.1 podcast it's twitter time uh, so Robert the Red, I, I watched this LA Galaxy game with with Robert uh, in St. Paul, and he 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 wants to go positive. So he says, "What has Heath and the front office done well, uh, trying to be positive for once in my life?" Um, so if you're looking at the Ramirez deal, the one positive, a positive that you can take from it, um, would be that if you're Mason Toy. You trust that playing soccer in Minnesota is a place where you can become a universally respected striker within the league, and you say, no matter how much of it you think Adrian Heath was directly involved with Christian Ramirez's development, uh, and I would say that he did improve during his time in MLS, obviously, with a change in level, yeah, this is a place where I can become a... I guess you would say Christian's a fringe U.S. national team pool player, at least for Gold Cups to come uh, in Copa America, if that happens. And it's a place that you can raise your value uh, and eventually score 12 to 14 goals. So there's a positive. I, I think that Mason Toy, Abu Dunladi aren't discouraged by seeing Ramirez be traded, nor should they be. But 
that's a positive. I put out uh, I put out a, a continental uh, or branded continental tire fire power rankings today. Uh, there was no thought of putting Minnesota United in that top five. Uh, there's just like when when people talk about how whatever however frustrated or angry I am with the team. There's so many more positives going on around. Not just like there's sporting side and off the field side. That Minnesota United is doing, you know, it's not bad. It's just not good. It's just um, growing pains. Yeah. And so, you know, last year we finished, you know, we, we never really had a chance at the playoffs, but we finished not, not far outside the playoffs. This year we don't have a chance at the playoffs. We're not going to finish probably that far out of the playoffs. Uh, um, we're just in that spot, um, which is, as an expansion team, not terrible. This is this isn't a, my my thing is the same that it's been for a while, which is that th- this team still doesn't quit. It still works hard. You know, I you it would be easy for the team to be like we don't have a lot to play for, but they went back and fought and earned that draw in L.A. And LA are a bad team, but they are also mysteriously fourth in the West. So it wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy game. It wasn't an easy result. And then they they clung on down a man. You look at teams like Orlando, who lost to in in like utterly spectacular fashion to DC, and then apparently there was like shouting and and a lot of recriminations in the locker room afterwards. I mean that is again a team with a a culture that is toxic and I've aired lots of gripes about the tactics this year and you know what a, what is our tactical approach what do we want to play you know is our only identity hard work but hard work is a decent thing to start from I mean you, you know, hard, having a team that is hard working and that is constantly trying is no small feat so I think that that a lot of that has to do with I think that Heath is is clearly motivating the guy, you know, the guy still. So that I find impressive. Steve Lindley says, "Any idea why the club counted on Cronin to return after missing the last two months of last season due to concussion issues?" I'm not. No. Well, maybe like I, I guess I would say that I don't think they counted on him to return as much as um, he at least ages ago. I heard this during the season. I heard this that. He really still wanted to, or probably still wants to make a return. And the team was just like, we're, you know, you're still on this team. We're not going to put any kind of timeline on this. I don't see him returning. But again, I'm like way out of the loop these days. Um, but it, it wasn't so much the club counting on him. Because I think like before the season, they knew that he might not be back. But if that's the case... Why is the only number six you bring in someone coming off of an ACL injury on loan from Brazil? Well, I think they I thought think they could I, play without one. Well, like I mean, LAFC are playing without a number six right now, so right. But I, I think there might have been a part of it where it was hoping that he would be back yeah. by May or June. And if that's part of the plan, if part of your plan is someone coming back from a concussion protocol ahead of schedule, that's a risky plan. I'll just leave right. it at that. Yeah. Uh, it, it is the the world may never know. DB Nelson says to paraphrase an old tune: "What should you do with a problem like Ibsen?" Well, he's your boy, so I'll take it. Uh, I mean, I've I've said many times uh, I'm I'm 
flabbergasted. Uh, and this is, you know, goes back to the Christian Ramirez thing, where you can score three goals and then find yourself benched. You can be Ibsen and uh, backheel your way into giving up a goal for your team and find no repercussions. Um, now, right now, Maximiano is injured um, right when I would like to see him be pushed into there, although the whole time I've wanted him to be pushed in there. Um, you don't really have... I don't think Colin Martin has shown enough this season. I, th I think he showed a bit more last season. So what do you do with that central midfield? And this is the problem. We have 30 central midfielders, uh, none of them who apparently are good enough to start, um, except for, you know, Schuler 75% of the time, uh, Colin Warner 50% of the time. Um, it used to be, to answer this question, it used to be with Ibsen, you would just cover for him because he added enough magic. I don't think you need the magic anymore. But what do, what do you do? Let me, Jeff, Jeff, let me ask you this. We have no uh, um, Colin Warner and no Calvo this uh, coming match for... Uh, Dallas, FC Dallas. Yeah. Um, uh, Olmsberg likely will come in for Calvo. What do you do? What do you do for uh, the midfield? So there are two ways to take it, Alex. I think you've touched on this kind of similarly, but there's the one way you can look at it where it's Olmsberg coming in, as and you keep the formation. You have Olmsberg there, Miller's still at left wing back, or you put in Gomez. I don't think they do that though on the road in Dallas. Um, and then for Warner, you maybe it's Martin, maybe it is Maximiano, uh, who still is trading. Maybe you're getting creative, or I don't know. <laughs> if you keep the formation like that, it's much harder to fix the midfield spot, the vacancy with Warner, than it is actually Calvo's, which is surprising in theory. But you know, and this is a question that Aaron George asked too, which is what players deserve more minutes this season, um, especially in light of these suspensions. Max Miano, because he's been training. I, I think part of it is, yes, he does still have slight hiccups in regards to his knee uh, that the team certainly would like to see 100% clear, but he's still training with the full team. And... This is the time of year where you say, okay, we're maybe we're not pushing for the playoffs anymore, but we have a purchase option that we think could be below market value for a starting number six. So let's give him minutes and let's see if he can be a starting number six in this league. Or if he isn't. And then you just decline the purchase option. But at least you did your due diligence. I think that if I'm looking at the 2018 season, more than any other player, except for maybe Mason Toy, but he's so young that you always thought this year was going to be a developmental mm -hmm. year anyway. No player do I look at and say, ah, with more time, you could have seen what they would be in MLS mm -hmm. than Maximiano. Yeah. And so if he's able to get out there in Dallas, <clears throat> this is the time to, to say, well, I'm the resident bald man in the midfield. So, you know, maybe they won't think anything of it and I can step in and maybe I'll make a gaff or two here. Maybe I'll get a yellow, but Colin was getting his yellows anyway. And I'm able to do true number six work to a greater level, assert his place for the rest of the season, maybe help be part of the move-in crew for Allianz Field. Mm -hmm. This is the time to do that. And this is the time for Adrian Heath and the rest of Minnesota's decision makers to make those decisions and yeah. give him those minutes. 
Alex, I don't know. Am I missing someone in this midfield picture? No, I think you have. I mean, there, there are the two options. There's to keep the 3-5-2, replace Calvo with Omsberg, and replace uh, Warner with either Martin or Maximiano. And then there's the 4-2-3-1 option where you just remove both those players and instead you go with uh, Romario or Barra on the wing. And I think that, that those are... I'd rather do that, by the way. I think we should go back to the 4-2-3-1. You put uh, um, Coleman and Boxall in the, in the center back and you put... Oh, God. But then you have Ibsen Schuller in the middle. I'm, I, just, I think that this team has proven time and time again that they can't defend with just two just two center backs and uh, and no defensive midfielder. Maybe removing Calvo's sort of adventurousness solves that problem. If I'm you put Maximiano in with Schuler though. Oh. Maybe. Mm, maybe. I, I don't know. The empty bucket. It's some bo- old school Bob Bradley shit. Yeah. All right. I, I don't know. But I do think that if you want to play Maximiano on a very nice grass field in Dallas is is the place to do it. Toby Seisler uh, asks, if there was one realistic coach and one player we could honestly sign to fix problems, who would they be? I don't know if either of you have thought through this. I'm obviously going to say Greg Berhalter. I dream erotic dreams about him as our coach. Uh, (laughs) But I think there's, you know, Mark Dos Santos is also there. Also, I know that Mark Dos Santos has heard my joke about how he looks like a speed dealer in a club. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think... I keep uh, quote tweeting uh, Explore Minnesota tweets at Mark Dos Santos. Yeah, so I mean, Mark, he's, Mark, he's my choice. Mark, I like Mark, Robin Frazier with Toronto as well. Yeah, yeah, but apparently Robin Frazier is getting paid like head coach money to be an assistant well, coach there. So, but let's um, pay him head coach money to be th- a head coach. There's guys out there. I think the you the three of us have actually talked about those three guys for a long time. Yeah. Anyone that, else in your in, one. in your picture? Yeah. There's um, one very obvious candidate. If you want to solve the defense. Big Sam Allardyce. Oh, no, that's obvious. Ooh. That's too obvious. Come on. Yeah. Get adventurous a little bit. Get in there. I will say. Oh, but, but Big Sam Allardyce would cream his pants over Brent Coleman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and Michael Boxall. Come on. Michael Boxall, oh. too. Oh. Can you imagine? He would just put it in and be like, all right, this Calville guy, he's, he's too fancy. Don't pass the ball. Just fucking push it up there. Lump it. Lump it. All right. I think the, the one coach I would say that I would love to see someday, just to see how it goes in MLS, Minnesota or otherwise, in such a counterattacking friendly league, would be Claudio Ranieri. Sure. Oh, I thought I you were going to name Bielsa. I have well, Biel. <laughs> yes, yeah. I would love Bielsa. Did you see that he was at a Leeds U twenty three game today? I love Bielsa. Yeah. Oh. Irrationally, but I yeah. think he and if Leeds you look are at, made for each other. It's amazing. <laughs> Really are, but I think if you look I want to at see him coach Orlando, just putting it out there. <laughs> oh, the, the the leads, the Florida man leads of MLS. Mm. Uh, but I think if you look at it, a counterattacking friendly league, a league where he's going to have way less pressure than he had at Chelsea. Uh, I want to see what Ranieri would do because I think that he would just run laps around MLS and actually would be the most likely of the coaches who have won the big five leagues within the last decade coaches to actually take an MLS job. Here's here's what I'll say. I think there is a real chance. Maybe someone's going to ask about this. I forget. Uh, Garth Grauberg, let's just follow this up. He also asked this. Assume you plan to fire Heath. Do you do it now after the season and why? I'm just going to say 
it is extremely unlikely likely it happens the, during the season. I think it is very likely it happens during the off season, and I think I would put. Uh, I will right now put $50 that it is either Tab Ramos or Mark Dos Santos. Just flat out. I think that I would love Greg Berhalter. And I was talking to someone who was talking to me about this team and saying, like, look, this team is going into starting Allianz Field. It has a very well-known fan base. It has actually money behind it. There are lots of coaches who would like to come to this team. They're in a very, like, plus... You're coming into a team where there's no... You just have to be good. You don't have to be great. You don't have to win the league. You just have yeah. to not be shitty. Like So the expectations of, of what you have to improve, like if, if you came into, for example, NYCFC, like there's real expectations on success. No offense, but you're also catering to a fan base that for a long time was used to hearing that their team might die. Yeah, yeah. So if you just know yeah. the team is back and right. competitive next year, it's yeah. all gravy. So so I think I, I think that, that those, two, those two guys are the most obvious but there are like i think greg berhalter is totally doable and that you could go even higher than that but berhalter i think is more likely in the u.s men's national team frame and that's right. that's the only reason but um i certainly anytime i talk to someone who's involved with minnesota united like the ticket sales guy i'm like hey you know who should we we should sign decide like the janitor i'm like hey you know who we should sign? he's just like i don't even know what are you talking about greg. i just need to yeah. clean the floors I uh, will say, though, would you do it now or after the season? I wouldn't do it now. I think the only reason you make midseason coaching changes and more to the point pay two coaches at once is if you think you have a chance at the playoffs and therefore a lottery ticket to do something more special. See Seattle 2016 replacing Schmidt with Schmetzer midseason. <laughs> wouldn't you give, a, give your coach a, a longer run-up? Like, look, this year you don't have to get anything this year. Take some time with the team. Why don't you just then, if you know, if you know that you're a team that's going to part with your coach in the off season, you can still do interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you I'm can, just, you I'm, can still, you know, and, and as part of the interviews, you say, okay, you've got two weeks. You you, you elongate the process long mm -hmm. enough where you don't have to make a decision until after the season. But you you say, okay, let's say you're planning for our October slate. So we're not even going to talk to you until October. So there's that, but. Why don't you then look at that and say, okay, yeah, you look at here are the players. You, we're also requiring you, by the way, to spend the entirety of September watching our own players, so you know who you'd want to keep. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, and you don't have to pay them. Sheaf. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I think sure. I've, I think I've been clear before. I, I, I don't like midseason coach firings. I think that, I think that you to the best of your ability owe it to a coach to let them carry out their plan and I think that the right time to make big changes like a coaching switch is in the off season not in midseason. I don't think yeah. midseason swaps the, really serve anybody particularly no, well. No, unless it's like the May, early June part where they actually get the transfer window within the season. Unless uh, you have a, someone like Brian Schmetzer who's an assistant coach ready to step up, you don't make that change. Okay. And our assistant coach is Mark Watson, and I do not want him as head coach of this team. David at Dalkyrie um, says, does this business uh, as seen on TV about covering your mouth when you're talking to a coach or teammates make any sense? Nope. No. Uh, I but remember uh, in the World Cup, last, not this recent World Cup, but the last World Cup when 
the North Korean coach and player were talking to each other, and Emmanuel Abui came over and pretended to understand what they were saying. Yeah. That was no. one of my favorite. That was, great. that was one of my favorite all-time soccer moments. I will say though, and it's actually really interesting. So I did some digging on this today, and I asked a couple of players, and I was saying, okay, you know, why why do you cover your mouths and whatever? And they're saying, yeah, no, we don't want people to be able to tell what we're talking about. I was like, yeah, okay, but what are you talking about? And it was really interesting. It took about the fifth player to finally answer this for me. But he said, and this is gospel, that they're talking shit about David. Oh, David! The question asker, the one who's so nervous about Man. all this stuff. They're everyone across right, the mate. world just being David. Fucking oh. David! What's his? What's wrong with his face? He get like smashed in the face with a frying pan. Do you think? That I don't he's even know. Worried yeah. about what we're saying? Yeah. yeah Jacob Schneider funny. says, "Hopefully, I'm not too late for the party." No, Jacob, you got in before we recorded the podcast. But I have a discussion topic. Why has our scouting team front office been so inefficient with loan players brought in? Kadri, mm. uh, Greenspan was not loaned, but um, Gomez, Alfberger, was he loaned? Remember him? Yeah, he, he was alone. Oh, I remember Alfie like nothing else. Brandon Allen, Maximiano, uh, uh, Jose Leton, uh, I think that didn't miss it, have all been lackluster or bust. Uh, who, where does that rest on? Um, Jeff, Tiva? I mean, that's why you make loan decisions though so the the sweet spot of who a team is willing to place on loan is the player that they don't think can contribute this year and if they're going to add a purchase option they're the player that they're like even if they tear it up we'll be okay the other thing is because i've played a lot of football manager the guy who you can't quite offload but Maybe you can get someone to pick up some of his salary to to do that. So as an expert in football manager, I just want to say that's the other type. That's the other type. And so with those two types of players, especially the football manager realm, um, yeah, I mean, that's why they're available on loan. That's why you don't, that's why you don't see a Boshkim Kadri who is put out for an outright purchase. And that's also fair credit to Minnesota. That's why you don't up the price and say, no, we want Kadri. It's because like, okay, well, I want to see how he translates to this league. Didn't work out great. Leighton, same thing. Kadri, Ka- Maximiano as well, both coming off of big injuries. True. And so the, uh, the that team is like, well, we can get them to rehabilitate this guy. And we are saying, well, we can rehabilitate him and get him at a lower price uh, and, and check it out. If it all goes well, yeah. She, I, I actually like all of these moves. I, I love loan moves. You know, you don't want to do that many of them, but... And that's so. That's the big thing, right? It's. I think each as one-offs made sense to me. Um, Gomez, Maximiano, in particular, because they're the current ones. Mm-hmm. But it's when you look at last year and you have three or four guys on loan with purchase option at the same time. How do you build continuity off of that, assuming yeah. that only twenty-five percent are going to hit at best? Yeah, right. And but I do like. We know that international players are always a big gamble, so minimize your risk. So I would I would take. Uh, you know, do the Gomez and Maximiano loans and Cadres as well uh, all day. But the Owundi and P- Pangop stuff, the, I, I come back to that so often because it just makes no sense. Two international spots, and they're not making that much money, but Yeah, and that's the hard why? part, though. It's not the salaries. It's not the $10,000 combined transfer fee. It's the international Is it $10,000? That, that's what it is. Okay, I knew... 10000 for one, free for the other. I knew that it was transfer fee, but I yeah, didn't, but I didn't know fee. how much But the, that's the thing, right? It's international spots, because then it was sending an extra $50,000 to get the spot for Angelo. And that 
does add up within the league because not only are you losing fifty thousand dollars of a resource, you're giving another team an extra fifty thousand dollars to work with. Yeah. So. Um, let me ask this last question then, and we'll start with you, Sheaf. Uh, Blue Green Loon says, early look at Cloud City opener next year. What loon survived the 2018 campaign to grace the new digs? Is Heath still leading them? Uh, we, we talked a little bit about that, but I actually want to hear, Sheaf, you, you're on, you on that last point. But also then, what do you think... I guess we could ask it one way, which what do you think it could look, will look like, or what do you think it could look like? But Chief, answer that question in whatever way you want. I wish I was as confident as you were that Adrian Heath will not be the coach next season. Stick um, around for the next four away games, I'm, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm worried uh, that he will be, and I, I'm sick of, I'm just tired of, of him. Um, I think that I think that people are going to I think that people who want some kind of wholesale and I don't know how many of these people exist this is maybe a bit of a straw man but I think that people who want a wholesale overhaul of the roster will be disappointed I think that uh most of the players are going to come back especially in the attack hopefully that also means Kevin Molino and Ethan Finley um healthy although both of those guys are are probably trade bait especially Molino if Heath leaves um but I, but I do think that I think that it's going to be largely the same team, and I think that hopefully there are a couple big money signings in key places, and uh, and that that would be my hope is that 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 starting team. I mean, I I, I don't think we're that bad. We've talked about it. We're, we're not good, but we're not bad, and I think that with. Uh, some better tactics and some better organization and some better coaching and a couple key players in different positions. I think that we, we could be a good team. I think if I'm looking at... I think at, the front office thinks that too. Yeah, yeah. And I think if I'm looking at what are the priorities for the offseason, they're pretty sound. Within the roster, the two biggest urgencies to lock them down to still affordable but long-term deals to try to get more value out of that is probably Miguel Ibarra and Brent Coleman. And I know that... Minnesota will have a more kind of intimate knowledge of what to expect from them and place a little higher value on them, maybe. But you have to understand, it's so hard to actually find two or three quality center backs in this league that even your second and third center back, that's a very valuable asset. Mm -hmm. And being able to have one of those under 100,000 is one of the better value plays in the West right now. Yeah. Got to develop Wyatt Armsburg, too. Brent Brent needs to stop clearing. He's he's had two bad clearances a game all season yeah but Just bugging me but Brent! but then look at, okay but look at i love casino three, more than anything else but. <laughs> but look at the three center backs that la galaxy are paying yeah 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 so oh that's yeah the yeah hard part so you look at it and it's like okay there are two moments out of 90 minutes mm-hmm. that i look at and i'm like Ugh. but there are so many more of those moments with so many more center backs in the west yeah. you lock down brent miguel wherever you play him in the final third he is going to be a starting level. And he's shown that this year. If you put him at target forward, you're shit out of luck. But that's it. And yeah. I think... Brent's best position is... Or uh, Miguel's best position is on the pitch. That's what yeah. we've been saying Absolutely. a million times over. Yeah, two podcasts now. So I think that if you look at that, you lock down those two, great. You... It's a good shout, Alex, actually, that 
you know, Molino might be the more expendable, especially with his positional flexibility than Finley. He might be the one that gets a little higher value on the trade market. If you're FC Cincinnati, mm-hmm. oh, my God, would you look at Molino? Because we don't, can't get as much from him because he's coming off that injury. But they would look at him and think, like, yeah, this is a guy who can be exactly what we, he was for us. You I think know? if you're Minnesota, though, I think you look at Kevin Molino and you say that he is on his best day, 80 cents to Darwin Quintero's dollar. Where if you're going to put him in no. his playmaking role... No, no. I know, I, I know Alex. <laughs> no. I've been gone for 45 episodes, but I know what you're going to say to this. But hear me out. If you put him in a system with wingers who are willing to put in two-way work, if you have Miguel on the left, Finley on the right, like it was for most of 2017, and you let Molina do some... When healthy, he's actually a 10-10 and 10 guy. But it's because he has the responsibility yeah, and the amount of touches that lead to it. Kicks. That doesn't matter. He's ten and ten. No, and it that's just matter. it. Penalty kicks don't count. Um, uh, okay, cool, cool. But he, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, if you're a Cincinnati, that's a really good shout. Because if you're a Cincinnati and you're saying we have Adi and we know what we're going to get out of Adi, you know exactly what he's going to do for you in MLS um, after his six months vacation in USL. So. You have Molino working off of him, and, and that works. Those two players actually work, and that's valuable. Finley, you know he's a right winger. It, if you Since can find a turf field, then I think that's really problematic for them. So, yeah, but so did Minnesota so, right now. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> go, go, so going back to if you can find a way where you can fit all of those players on, on, a, on a salary cap, then it's perfect. You've got... Finley and Ibarra are in the similar ilk. Uh, um, you've yeah. got uh, Romario, a speed option on the left, and you've got um, Molino, who I think would be best if you had Quintero and Molino out there and, can, and Molino's cutting in and they're kind of moving in and out. Mm-hmm. I think that that could all really work if you have the, uh, the, the, the base of the central midfield we just don't have. Right. Um, Molino plays the same position as Quintero. I don't think they I don't think they can play together. I think you can have two uh, you can have two skillful players, one who likes to cut in from the wing and the other one who uh, is a number ten but roams. Uh, I see I think they both like being in a central role but no they're both set they're both second forwards. But what yeah, if uh, they both know how to play right wing. I have so a, I have, a, I, I have an imagination that the two of them, especially Molino, could be freed from having to be the the central guy, and then both of them can be dangerous and allow and allow the other one to drift. I but, dream. So here's about the that. thing, though, and, and this I is two free like, players, yeah, two but free I'm not free, but, but interchanging. And if you have that, then you add mm-hmm. just more testes to the midfield, I guess. But I think the thing that you have. The reason that Molino really liked, besides working with his former coach, really liked Minnesota is he was the guy. Because for so long, he was just kind of one of Kaká's fun buddies or whatever. And so he got to come to Minnesota in 2017 and become the guy. For the first two games, he looked really good. And then he did his ACL in. And it's one thing that Darwin has mentioned in a few interviews with me now. What he loved about Minnesota that he couldn't have gotten at San Jose, that he couldn't have gotten with 20 other teams in MLS, 
is being the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Well, because if you had it at San Jose too. <laughs> may, well, no, because they would have they would have found a Swede who would have taken over his limelight, and he would have he would have been the, the centerpiece at a at a basically a a turd banquet. Yeah. But if you look at what Minnesota has to offer, and I guess let's go back to Robert the Red's question here about what are the positives? Why did Darwin Quintero choose Minnesota? Because I haven't been on this podcast since he joined the roster. Um, there are two major reasons that you're able to sell Darwin on Minnesota above 22 other MLS teams. Number one, Cloud City. Allianz Number Field. Two, because he gets to open falls. the field, and he loves the falls. You know he loves the falls. But you, you look at that, and you just say, okay, you get to open the stadium in a market that's going to be friendly to you, that's going to love what you're able to do, and they're going to love you because, number two, you're the guy. You're not joining David Villa's team. You're not being the replacement for Miguel Almarón when he goes to mm-hmm. Newcastle, which I think would be the most hilariously beautiful transfer ever that will never happen. But Miguel Almarón leaves for a big European team, and you take his shoes, you're under the in- intense scrutiny of living mm-hmm. up to Almarón. Yeah. You wouldn't have that there. Mm-hmm. If you're in New York City in the Maxi Morales role, no one remembers Maxi Morales when they fill out their award ballots or yeah. their all-star ballots because he's second fiddle yeah. there. He's a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. He's, and, yeah. And, and he gets to live that out. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something where you look at it. I don't know if you look at the value with what he was signed on, if you look at his output, if you look at how he fits this current system and his flexibility for other systems. I don't know if there's been a more valuable signing in MLS in 2018 than Darwin Quintero to Minnesota United. Zlatan's the only, only person in in, in that that frame. Uh, I I mean, Zlatan, uh, as as Matt Doyle has pointed out, the the record for like best goals plus assists per 90 is like 1.22. Joseph Martinez is beating that at 1.27. Zlatan's at 1.57 right now. Yeah. He's blowing it away. And Parchman has talked about how he scored in over 60% of his games in every single league he's ever played in. Yeah. Ever. Uh, so Zlatan is the best signing this year. Darwin Quintero is the second best signing this but year. But you know he doesn't actually cost one and a half million. Like, look in your yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know that there's something, whether it's Garber yeah. or sponsors. You know Zlatan's not at one and a half. Yeah. So, but, but the moral of the story is... Darwin Quintero is number two, and and I don't think we need to feel like uh like Minnesota signed the second best had the second best signing of the year, um and that's that's great. But I mean, comparing it to historically one of the best yeah 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 history. exactly. And Zlatan right. is, is is Zlatan, so it, it is what it is. But um we need to call time. We've gone way too Why? long. This is gonna take you like eight days to listen to it, guys. If you've all gotten this far, if you've gotten this far, congratulations to you. Um, thank you, Jeff, for coming back for yeah. the, the special episode. Uh, you know, we will have you back again sometime. And Alex, uh, thank you for being back. As always, it's late where you are because we've been talking for a long time. But um, thanks, man. Yep. <laughs> all right, everyone. We will see you. I have no idea. We play FC Dallas this weekend. Good oh, luck. Yeah. Can I do a thing? I'm sorry. Can I do a thing? Do it. You should watch the FC Dallas game at New Bohemia Lake. Oh, you're doing a thing. I'm doing a thing. I'm doing a Q&A at 6.30. New Bohemia in Uptown, Lake Street, just past Lindale. 
Uh, pepper me with questions. I got thirty minutes with a microphone. What could go wrong? It's like so. it's like an hour on the on on public transit, Seriously, man. I can't get out that far. No, uh, <laughs> nope, not at all. Uh, all right, so New Bohemia six thirty next week before the game. Uh, that's the, the that's probably the Dark Clouds watch party. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you can do it. You can do a Q and A at Blackheart when it opens. Then okay, you can then good, you can good. stumble we to can and from. Yeah, we'll yeah. Do, we'll pull yeah. Q&A All right. Uh, thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon.